I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. You know you've got a comeback in you. When you take the next step, you're going to make it count. For your career, for your family, for your life. You can earn a degree you're proud of with Purdue Global. Purdue Global is backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected and innovative public universities. This is your chance. This is your opportunity. This is your comeback. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Hey, everyone. This is Jody Sweeten from the podcast How Rude, Tanneritos. I've been needing a quick getaway with my family, and the 2024 Hyundai Santa Fe is the perfect vehicle to take us there. It has standard third-row seating, so I'm able to pack my entire family, plus pets, in the car while also having enough room for our camping essentials. Available H-Track all-wheel drive will get us through any dirt trails, and available dual wireless charging pads will ensure we never have to worry about getting stuck with a dead phone in the middle of nowhere. Visit HyundaiUSA.com. Or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Finding the right news podcast can feel like dating. It seems promising until you start listening. When you hit play on Post Reports, you'll get fascinating conversations and sometimes a little fun, too. I'm Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Azadi. Martine and I are the hosts of Post Reports. The show comes out every weekday from The Washington Post. You can follow and listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. It'll be a match, I promise. This is Amy Brown from Four Things with Amy Brown. Today, Healthier is happening at CVS Health in more ways than you've ever seen. It's wellness destinations for seniors, including select locations with Oak Street Health and CVS Pharmacy. It's doctors, nurses, pharmacists, and everyone in between offering quality care and support virtually in person, and on the phone. It's in-home evaluations through Signify Health and meeting mental health needs through Aetna. And those are just a few of the ways that Healthier is happening. To see more, visit cvshealth.com slash healthierhappenstogether. CVS Pharmacy, Oak Street Health, CVS Specialty, Signify Health, and Aetna are part of CVS Health. Eligibility and services vary by location and individual. This is the Anxiety Bites Podcast, and I am your host, Jen Kirkman. I have ADHD. Oh, sorry. Welcome to another episode of Anxiety Bites. I am your host, Jen Kirkman. My guest today is Kristen Carter, and her website is IHaveADHD.com. But I'm also announcing I have ADHD, and it's been such an interesting unraveling of figuring out that I had it, not believing it for so many years because I didn't seem to have the typical symptoms that I'd always heard about. And my diagnosis came right on the edge of when a lot of this information was freely available on the internet. And so I thought, I, I mean, I do think I have it. And, and you hear me talk about it in this episode. 
that I was actually diagnosed by someone I live with who thought that I was having bizarre emotional regulation issues around, you know, meeting deadlines, treating the laundry as though it were launching a nuke. And when I talked to my psychiatrist, because I'd always, I always had one for, I had the same one for 20 years, he would prescribe antidepressants as needed and anxiety medication as needed for flying. And when I brought this ADHD potential diagnosis to him, he said, yeah, I, I think you know, from what we've talked about, you definitely have some symptoms of it. And I took the very long questionnaire and I came up as uh, someone who has it. But it wasn't really resonating with me yet because I kept thinking, well, but I, you know, I, I didn't have trouble paying attention in school and, and I wasn't running around dancing my pants. And I took ballet after school, you know, I took dance lessons and piano lessons many times a week and I was able to focus in class. But now when I look back over all of that, yes, I took piano lessons and I loved it. And I was completely in the zone and completely focused at my lessons. Did I practice? I hated practicing. It just, I just had to drag, even though I wanted to, it was always this thing of, I really actually want to, but I can't get started. Ballet. I wanted to be a dancer. I mean, it was the number one thing in my life, you know, ended up in comedy, but I wasn't a little kid who dreamed of being a comedian. I dreamed of being a dancer. Did I practice? No. But I loved being in class. You know, it's just like these little things where it doesn't have to be so literal, where you're jumping up and down in your seat and the teacher's saying, go to the principal's office because you're so disruptive. You know, I was kind of goody two-shoes. I was afraid of getting in trouble, but I had outbursts. You know, I definitely did. Not often, but at least once a year. Which, you know, there's not a lot for, you know, someone with ADHD, they don't really get taken to a psychiatrist or medicated because once a year there's an outburst. But there were little things here and there. And, you know, ADHD, some people do think of it as an anxiety disorder. There are so many things that exist with it and so many things that it mimics. And it's hard to, to figure out what is, is this true ADHD or, you know, am I, am I over here having more OCD? It, it's a, it's a tricky little diagnosis, but once you really lock into what it is and you've lived long enough and you can look back and, and think, oh, oh, it's all coming together. It must feel like, I don't know if you've had some kind of undiagnosed more of a physical illness. Maybe you've been tired for 10 years and people have been saying, oh, you're just lazy or you eat too much sugar. And then you find out, oh no, it's, it's actually this uh, chronic, well, I don't even know, chronic thing that, you know, I've got some blood thing or I don't know. But it, it feels very much like that. Once I started to learn more about it, once more information became readily available, there is a part of me that can self-diagnose and there is a part of me that brings these things to a psychiatrist that I now see. And he validates, yes, these are ADHD symptoms. Here are the things that people do for it. So now I have tools and now I can just even recognize, I mean, even just me thinking, oh, this is that ADHD behavior. It doesn't matter where did it come from and blah, blah. just knowing it in the moment and just thinking, I am convinced right now that if I do blah, blah, and blah, I will soothe this feeling that I have no time. If I just do this, this, and this, I will soothe that feeling 
that I can do it all and I have to do it all at once. And I, I just keep telling myself, you're wrong. I know it's impossible to believe, but that's not true. So take a contrary action. You know, that's what helps me. But it really did put a lot of things into focus for me where I've had trouble regulating emotions, which may sound like, oh, I'm having these outbursts and I'm running around screaming. I'm, I've definitely done that. But, but what I mean more is when feelings feel so intense that you don't know, oh, not everyone feels this way. You know, obviously we all have our moments, but where your insides almost feel like a roller coaster from, quote, normal human experiences. And it can be so overwhelming that you might not be able to function, you know, and no one ever thinks of that as ADHD. I mean, I don't, I don't mean no one, obviously professionals understand it and people that have had it and have really been diagnosed understand it, but just you stop someone on the street, they would not say, oh yeah, that sounds like an ADHD symptom. You know, I think ADHD is one of those diagnoses that a lot of the symptoms have probably just been people writing you off as crazy your whole life. And so it's been a huge relief for me to, to find out really what this mysterious little disorder is. And so I wanted to talk to Kristen Carter specifically because, again, we've got our neuroscientists out there. We've got our, you know, I, I'm a brain blah, blah person and I know what ADHD is, but so rarely do these people have ADHD. I wanted to talk to someone who has ADHD and somehow managed to start a great podcast, to become a coach that helps other people with ADHD, that leads workshops, that has a great website, that is a mom with a, you know, a husband and kids, this huge, fully functioning life that's running on all cylinders. And she has ADHD. And she had to slowly realize as she was educating herself that a lot of the things she had had been misdiagnosed, not completely understood or explained to her, and she took matters into her own hands. And so that's how I feel my journey is a little bit. And in, in, this, in the sense of I'm a high-functioning ADHDer, and sometimes I need to hear someone that actually knows what it feels like as well as has the science and the research to talk about it intelligently and back it up. But that I just was so excited that, that she came on the podcast. And so if you're a fellow adhd or as Kristen calls us, welcome to this episode. I think you will get a lot out of it. For me, I think the biggest thing that I actually really learned from listening to Kristen's podcast, and it's not that I hadn't heard this before, but it just clicked one day and I went, this is the answer to everything is that ADHD is not just about not being able to pay attention. In fact, it, it really has so little to do with not being able to pay attention. It's a neurodevelopmental disorder that impairs your ability to regulate yourself, including your attention and your emotions. The emotions, I feel, is the part we never hear about it. We never hear about it, I mean, but you're gonna hear about it on this episode. So let's just get right to it. Again, I will tell you a little bit about my guest, Kristen Carter. She has a great podcast called 
I Have ADHD. It's the number one top-rated podcast for adult ADHD. She's got over 2 million downloads. Again, you can work with her. She is a coach that helps people with ADHD, and she also helps adults figure out how to get shit done and enjoy their lives. So if you need support, check out her website, IHaveADHD.com. It will be linked in the show notes. So let's go to my conversation. Oh, my God. This happened on another episode. This Bluetooth thing keeps talking to me. I know I should edit that out. Uh, What am I going to do? This is the Anxiety Bites podcast. This isn't the Perfection podcast. Enjoy my conversation with Kristen Carter. Kristen, I've already told all my guests all about you in the intro, and I don't normally start podcasts this way because it's usually just about the... um, I normally don't start podcasts this way because it's usually about the anxiety symptom or disease itself that we kind of focus on. But I do want to focus on your story of how you became an ADHD coach because I feel like it's such an ADHD success story and and mm-hmm. it really illustrates how we have to advocate for ourselves and almost feels like some, even though there's a lot of info out there, that's sort of the problem. We're kind of on our own. So would you tell my listeners the story of how you came to be, you know, what what you do for a living and how you came to that? Yes, I would love to. So thank you so much for that. I I think that, you know, the way that my story has kind of played out really proves that us ADHDers often have to try a bunch of things before we kind of come home to what we were always meant to do. And that's the way that I feel coaching has been for me. I feel as though it kind of found me and mm-hmm. and I feel just like at home in it. Um, so I've always coached people. Um, what I realize now looking back is like against their will. I've been coaching people <laughs> since I was like a child. <laughs> like, sorry, everyone. I do for apologize. For free and against their will. <laughs> Exactly. Um, like with no consent, I've been coaching family members, friends, teachers, like it's people have come to me my whole life. Um, and it was always something that I, you know, I just really enjoyed doing. My best friends nicknamed me coach. I didn't even know life coaching was a thing, though. I just right. like it's it really is a new industry. And so at the time that I went looking for ADHD help. I could not find someone that I really resonated with, that I felt was speaking my language, that really was a reflection of who I was and, you know, the the person that I wanted to become. And yeah. so I got pretty frustrated in my 30s, kind of going around looking, you know, looking at different podcasts and Googling different coaches and like all of these things. I just kept trying to find an example that I wanted to follow. And there are some amazing examples out there, but not anybody that I really resonated with. And so the first thing that I did was um, listen to that little nagging voice inside of my head that said, maybe I could start a podcast. Mm. Maybe, maybe I could do it. And I do have the kind of personality that's like, okay, let's just go for it, right? Which I think 
ADHD just really played a beautiful part into that. So I was like willing to take the risk. I was willing to um, put myself out there and I just went for it, like impulsively, um, just like, okay, let's do it. And I kind of threw out my podcast into the darkness of the night and hoped that no one would ever listen to it ever. I didn't know that launching a podcast was a thing. I didn't know that gathering an audience. I was just like, I'm just going to shove this episode out there in the dark cover of the night and hope that no one ever listens to it. And it turns out that people really resonated with it. And I do think it's because there was a space that needed to be filled with a personality like mine. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think many people could have done it. I just decided to do it, right? And so um, then once the podcast was really being listened to, a lot of people started reaching out to me for coaching. And it was a very similar experience where I was like, yeah, I could probably do that. At the time I was working with students who had learning differences and I was coaching them. And so I thought, well, I could do this with adults. Let's just kind of tweak it. And it was like magic. It was so much fun. The first couple of sessions that I did, I was like, holy bleep, I cannot believe how much fun this is. And the connection that you get to create with a client and the dopamine hit from seeing someone make real changes in their life. It's just incredible. And so I needed more of that dopamine hit, really. I was like, let's do more. Exactly. We lack that as ADHD. Oh my gosh, yes. And I was just, I craved it. So um, over the course of about a year, I went from, I owned the company. It was like a tutoring company. I owned a brick and mortar company in my town, um, tutoring business, and I really transitioned into coaching full time. And that was a very scary, risky decision. I had seven part-time employees at the time. I had a business that was paying my bills. It was, you know, it wasn't what I loved to do, but it was fine. I had no reason, you know, to be like, I'm going to close down this baby and go like with a different baby. Yeah. But I just felt like coaching was calling. It was just calling me. And so um, that has been, even though it was a very scary decision to make, it was the best decision ever. Because as soon as I went all in on it, um, it really did totally explode. And that has been really fun. It's been a wild ride. It's been um, a very humbling privilege to be able to walk side by side with so many adults with ADHD who have just really been overlooked for so long, who have not found um, the right fit as far as self-development and help, and for so long have kind of been floundering. And to be able to like gather in, you know, so many people who who just really need um, some specific support has just been just the privilege of a lifetime. We'll be right back. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, 
a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. The 2024 presidential campaign features two candidates who are very well-known to Americans. And yet, there's complexity at every turn. Criminal trials for one of those candidates. Young voters who are angry. The Campaign Moment podcast from The Washington Post gives you what matters. I'm Aaron Blake, and I'm covering my 10th election cycle. My colleagues and I have insights that you won't find anywhere else. So follow the Campaign Moment right now, wherever you're listening. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. I'm wondering if you can tell me what you have noticed in yourself, like about getting diagnosed that was maybe different than maybe what a man experiences. I feel like for men, it's that kind of cut and dry. Literally, they can't pay attention in school and it's followed them their whole life and they need something to focus. And I've always been very high functioning. I've, If I have a deadline at work and it means I have a job or not, like I'm going to do it. I mean, I may be having a complete internal nervous breakdown, but nothing doesn't get done. And I love making lists and I'm extremely organized. Like if you move this lotion on my desk, I'm going to put it right back. But everything else is a complete whirlwind in my life. And so I thought for sure for so long, um, there's no way I can have ADHD because I don't have these like three symptoms that are most Mm -hmm. common in men. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. So I think that I wonder if your anxiety like plays a beautiful part in keeping you on task. Do you think? Like making sure, because what I find with my clients is that those who have like anxiety around performance and making sure things are just so and, um, you know, keeping their job, stuff like that, (laughs) like very good things, um, they are actually functioning better on the outside, because they have that dose of anxiety to come in and really give them the juices needed to get the job done. So they might not have the dopamine 
to get started. But yeah. they have that kick of anxiety that's like, hey, if you don't do this, we're going to lose the job. And if we lose the job, we're going to have money. If we don't have money, we're going to be homeless. Yeah. Right? Like, yeah. I'm, I'm in a shopping cart in every one of my <laughs> fantasies. I'm like living in a shopping cart with slippers on and talking to myself. And so I'm like, I, well, it's interesting you brought that up because you had said that one of your gifts of ADHD is putting yourself out there. And I had the same thing as a performer. I, you know, I was never afraid to get on stage or anything like that. And people would say, you know, what's your secret? And I would say, I'm, maybe I'm just crazy. Like, I don't even think about consequences. I'm like, I need to do this. And now I'm realizing, I'm, I'm like still realizing, and I just had another epiphany. That's one of the gifts of ADHD. But, you know, it's one of those things where for me, if, and then I'm going to get to my questions for you, but if if you asked everyone I've ever worked with, do you think she's neurodivergent? Do you think she has ADHD? They'd say no. But if you asked any romantic relationship I've had, they'd be like anywhere from yes to she's crazy. And so if you could tell us what is the definition of ADHD, and I know that you and I agree that it's a terrible name for for a disease. Attention deficit hyperactivity disorder is a terrible name for what how huge this is. Yeah, it really is a terrible name for it because it's extremely misleading. There's actually no deficit of attention. We actually have just as much attention as anybody else, except we struggle to regulate our attention, which means we struggle to put it on the right thing for the right amount of time in order to get that thing accomplished, right? Um, in addition to that, and you know, you asked about women and ADHD. I think one of the most important components for women to understand is we don't just have this struggle to regulate our attention. We also have the struggle of regulating our emotions. And mm -hmm. so with women specifically, um, I think that this component is very key because we feel emotions very intensely. Now, there's no way to prove whether we feel emotions more intensely than somebody else because nobody can like get into my body and know how I'm feeling a sensation and whether or not that's more than you, right? But yeah. our reactions seem to be bigger um, than a neurotypical's reactions, right? And so when we get frustrated, it's debilitating. When we get excited, it's debilitating. When we get sad, it's debilitating. Like we have a very hard time self-soothing, coming down off of emotions, making sure that we are regulated and even healed. So this makes so much sense when you talk about like romantic partners might label me as being a little bit crazy because when you are feeling those, like whether it's like the, the emotion of love, even like we have trouble regulating that in our bodies. And so we, the way that humans, if we don't know how to regulate and self-soothe within our bodies, then we try to get it out. Right. Yeah. And so we want to throw that love onto other people, or we want to throw that anxiety or that um, frustration. And so a lot of times what's happening is we're trying to <laughs> regulate ourselves by kind of um, reacting, responding, and kind of throwing our emotions at other people, which can be very tricky when it comes to relationships, right? And so ADHD is a self-regulation disorder. We have so much trouble regulating our attention, regulating our emotions. And if that is what we can really take away, that will change everything because that perspective really shifts 
our focus to, okay, it's not just a deficit of attention where it's like, oh, there she goes again, squirrel. It's like, no, I have attention. It's just, I struggle to regulate it Mm -hmm. and I struggle to keep that attention on the most important thing. And part of that is because I have less dopamine in my brain. And so when it's something like laundry, there's like 57 steps in getting laundry done. So boring. I don't care about it at all. I will just wear dirty clothes. Like who cares, right? And so the levels of dopamine involved with um, getting through the task of laundry, it's incredible, right? And so when we have less dopamine, laundry can feel like I I. I would rather die than do this laundry. Like, I'm just going to leave it. And it it. must get misdiagnosed a lot as depression, right? Because it's like, because it's around a task. So you could go to a therapist and tell that story. Oh, for example, my laundry makes me want to die. And they're like, oh, depression. But it's like, you're not hopeless in life. You're not unmotivated in life. It's just that something that doesn't produce dopamine. It's almost like to, to make fun of ourselves. And I don't really mean this, but like the bad way to put it is like, we're just like little like heathen, heathens, like little brats that are like, do I get dopamine from this? I don't want to do it, you know? Exactly. But what we're not realizing is nor- nor- normal, but like uh, neurotypical people, mm-hmm. um, it's not like they're getting a spike of dopamine, like they're skydiving, but they just have enough so that it, it doesn't feel so, uh, you know, like they're drowning if they're doing, exactly. right? Is that what it is? Okay. Yeah, exactly. And this is why, or one of the reasons why so many ADHDers are just labeled selfish and lazy Interesting. and self-centered is because it's like, oh, you just don't want to do the dishes? Like, what's <laughs> right. going on? Right? Like, oh, you just want to do the fun stuff and not the boring stuff. So like in a partnership, that can be really tricky, right? And so when my husband feels like he's the one that is always doing the laundry or always doing the dishes, that can really breed resentment. Whereas like, I do want to participate. It's just like, it feels like death. Like I would rather do, please let me do anything else I can do it, right? And so (laughs) that can be really, really tricky. And so many of the things that we struggle with are things that everyone struggles with. Right. And so yeah. it it can be extremely difficult to diagnose. It can be extremely difficult to explain to friends and loved ones because um, if you're like, yeah, I, I hate doing laundry. Everybody's like, yeah, like who loves? Nobody loves doing laundry. Like, what are yeah. you talking about? You just do it. And you're just like, well, <laughs> that's the tricky part. Right, so just do it. do it. It can become so overwhelming like to, to think about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I like to ask myself in every situation, how can I make this more fun? How do you make this more fun? That's my, I ask myself that 7 billion times a day. And so for me, a lot of times I pop in my earbuds and I listen to podcasts or I blast music and I dance around with my kids. My son Crosby, he's eight years old. When we fold laundry, we pop a pair of his underwear on our head, clean underwear, Mm -hmm. pop a pair of underwear on our head and we just fold laundry with underwear on our head. Like it's just, we're always looking for ways to make things more fun because then those tasks that feel like death really do become more bearable. And also thinking of the outcome. I love having a clean kitchen. I really do. Yeah. It's the best. Like clean counters, it's the best feeling. So if I can focus on clean counters, they're coming, they're coming, like, and really get my brain to think about like what it's going to feel like when it's done. Oftentimes I can get that like self-induced dopamine hit and that's enough to get me rolling. And you know, it's funny that you specifically mentioned laundry. Um, You know, I can do it obviously. Uh, 
and I'm kind of a neat freak. So, but like you said, that's probably a little anxiety induced, maybe a tad OCD induced, but a boyfriend I lived with at one point said to me, you know, you treat laundry like on your to-do list with the same importance as if you were like the president and you had to launch a nuke. Like to you, do I launch this nuke or do I do this laundry now or in the morning? It's the same intensity. And that was, that sentence is what brought me to mention it to my then psychiatrist. And he's like, that is ADHD. And I was like, what? Because I, I will do the laundry, but I will also not do, it's not procrastinating either. Like if I had a work from home assignment due the next day or a deadline, I'm like, how could I possibly begin this writing deadline tonight? There's a pile of laundry to fold. And to me, it's not the way some people might choose to do some housework to procrastinate. To me, it's like everything has to get done or I'm always five, 10 minutes late because I have to put everything in its place before I leave. You know, it's like everything is of the same importance and I can't... Um, it's it's not like I can't... I know intellectually that the deadline's more important than the laundry, but my body feels so overwhelmed that I won't be able to focus on the deadline if the laundry's not done. And so I end up so many times in my life staying up really late to do every single thing so that when I wake up in the morning, everything feels perfect, but that you never catch that carrot that's, that's dangling, yeah. that I dangle for myself. And so whatever that mess is, is is how my ADHD works. And I'm even though I got that diagnosis 12 years ago, I sort of like said, sure, great, and then didn't do anything about it. And it's not until the last few years that I went, okay, this is pretty unmanageable. <laughs> and now I'm doing something about it. But totally. does that sound like something you hear a lot in your in your coaching? Oh, my word. Yes. And you just described it so beautifully. And God bless your psychiatrist for knowing that that was ADHD, because I don't think that most would. And, and he so said, most people come in everyone comes in self-diagnosing depression or anxiety because they know what that feels like. Every, he said every single person that's ever come in asking if they have ADHD, it's because a friend or someone they lived with or a family member has told them either you have that or you have this thing and go tell your psychiatrist these things you're doing because I don't know what that is, but it's not normal. And totally. he's like, so everyone always gets diagnosed by someone else in their life with ADHD. I thought that was kind of interesting. Oh my goodness. Because we're yeah, driving them is. absolutely crazy. Totally. Okay. So this is a perfect time to mention executive functions because what you were describing is the executive function of prioritization. Yeah. Okay. So the executive functions are housed in our frontal lobe. And when you have ADHD, your executive functioning is deficient. Okay. And so I'm just going to breeze through. There's eight executive functions. Okay. Impulse control, meaning struggling to put on the brakes, take a stop and think, and like really wait before we jump in and do, right? Emotional regulation, which we already talked about a little bit. Like, and that's the self-soothing after yes. an emotional explosion, right? And yep. maybe you can ruin your whole day if you yep. have one. Yep, yep. Yeah. So your emotions can be very distracting. So maybe you fight with your partner in the morning and then you can get nothing done at work for the rest of the day because all you can think about is this fight that you had and your body is still reacting to it. You just cannot calm down from it, mm. right? Um, flexible thinking, which is really an interesting one. So ADHDers do tend to be very creative and outside the box, except for when we're not. 
that's really the only way I can describe it. Like we're super creative. We think outside the box, except for when we don't. And then when we can't think outside the box, it is like black or white. And we really struggle to look beyond what we're seeing. And we also really struggle with transitions. So I pull into my garage and the idea of getting out of my car and like going in and being a mom, it's just like so overwhelming. Now this is really subconscious, but I almost always want to pull out my phone and hang out in my car before I go into the house. What I realized I heard that now, on your show and I was fascinated with that because I never thought about all the different transitions we make in a day. So many. And that I do think that, you know, it, I had a therapist once tell me that even happy change in life can cause anxiety. And she meant like bigger things like you move or you get a new job. But the many transitions we do every day, but like you said, going from work mode to mom mode or going from just got a bed mode to work mode or work mode to social mode, you know, and I, I never thought about that. And I, I've caught myself since I heard you talk about that, noticing that I need a little I need a little transition time. I, I need to do something. Yes. Yeah. 100%. And so if you just begin to observe yourself, you might notice like, okay, I'm sitting here working and now I need to transition to like, you know, making dinner, but I'm going to have a snack first. Like even those like little subtle things are like, this is the work before the work. This is the transition. Like I'm getting, I'm like talking myself into it. This is why so often people with ADHD will get to work and then they will just do like meaningless tasks. So they'll go on their phone, they'll scroll, blah, blah, blah. I have a podcast. I'm pretty sure I called it the work before the work, which is a really, I don't know, basic, basic If anybody has better podcast suggestion titles, (laughs) please reach out to me because sometimes it's not very creative. But it's like the scrolling time where you you use that time to talk yourself into getting into flow, getting Mm. into the work, getting into like getting your brain and body ready to work. It's fascinating. Um, so another, that so everything we just talked about was under the flexible thinking executive yes, function, right? Oh, okay. that was flexible thinking. Okay. Another executive functioning uh, skill is working memory, which is not like your memory like, hey, we went to Disney World when I was five years old. It's not that kind of memory. It's holding something in your mind long enough to get it done. So maybe your partner texts you and they're like, hey, we're out of milk. Can you stop on your way home? And you're like, sure, no problem. You're never we're getting ne- that milk if it's me. We're never getting that milk. <laughs> partner, we love you. We're never getting that milk, right? Because it's holding that thing in your mind and just kind of keeping it there long enough to complete the task. It's not going to happen, right? And so we have to set reminders and build all kinds of scaffolding around our memory. Self-monitoring, which is staying on task. So that goes hand in hand with the working memory, right? So I have to remember the task and then I have to continually bring my focus back to task at hand, task at hand. This is what we're doing, task at hand. Um, Task initiation, so it's getting started. Now, a lot of that is related to lower levels of dopamine. So like Mm. getting started on the task is very difficult. And it's also related to the flexible thinking, like transitioning into it, right? Organization, which I think goes without saying, if you've ever seen somebody with ADHD's car or, well, maybe yours is beautiful. Oh, mine is I mean, brand new. Like, it looks brand new. Like, there's not anything. Okay. A typical ADHDer's (laughs) car is going to be um, 
kind of like, I don't know, if you've ever pictured a dumpster fire, it's going to be like that. It's going to be like that. Okay, but here's the one where um, you and I can really focus in on, and this is the last one, prioritizing and planning. Yep. So somebody with ADHD is going to hear all of the tasks at the same volume level. So I want you to think about that. I love that that image. Yes. I think it's really helpful. Let's say you have 15 tasks to complete, and they're all varying importance. Logically, your brain knows, I know that the work project is more important than the dishes, obviously, right? Your brain knows that. The dishes can sit there. The work project has a deadline and needs to be done. But in an ADHD brain, the volume level on those two tasks is exactly the same. So if you think of, let's say you have 15 tasks to complete in a day, they're all set to a different radio station, but they're all on the same volume. They're all kind of screaming at you. Mm. Your focus is likely jumping from one thing to the next, bouncing back and forth. Which one do I start? Oh, this one's important. Oh, this one's important. And so many people with ADHD, pardon the image, look kind of like they're running around like a chicken with its head cut off. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, I'm going to do this for five minutes. Then I'm going to do this. For five and you're just kind of bouncing around because we don't have the volume control of I'm going to turn down the volume on these lesser important tasks and I'm going to blast the volume on this thing that has a deadline that's in an hour. And so everything is screaming at us at the same volume. And it's very disorienting. It's very confusing. It's very difficult to organize, you know, where should I start? What should I do? What should I give my attention to? And it's not because we're not smart. It's not because we don't logically know what's most important, but you said it best. My body just feels so pulled to these lesser important tasks. And that's exactly what it is. It's like, instead of um, you know, being able to really tune into the thing that is the most important. It's just like everything is screaming at me and I just need to like um, satisfy my overwhelm by just kind of like running around and trying to do all of them at the same time, which we know does not work. We'll continue the interview on the flip side of a quick message from our sponsors. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it, your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global. 
Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cb for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. I bet you're smart. Yeah, and you like to hold your own in the group chat. We can help you drop even more knowledge. My name is Martine Powers. And I'm Elahe Izadi. We host a daily news podcast called Post Reports. Every weekday afternoon, Post Reports takes you inside an important and interesting story with the kind of reporting that you can only get from The Washington Post. You can listen to Post Reports wherever you get your podcasts. Go find it now and hit follow. Started talking about this incident. Drugs and uh, officials cover up. <laughs> you couldn't believe it. From iHeart Podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. A story about money, power, and corruption. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing. Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. There's no way that that guy's a doctor. I'm Paul Pringle, and I'm an investigative reporter for the L.A. Times. This is the story of an investigation that starts in a hotel room in Pasadena, California, and reaches all the way to the top of two of the most powerful institutions in the city of Los Angeles. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. This is Fallen Angels, the story of California corruption. We're always going to have predators. It's the good people who stand by and do nothing that allow them to flourish. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I have another question about um, going back to one of these eight executive functions. Mm. So, in terms of the black and white thinking. Mm. You know, I really want to explore that more. That's something I've I've had my whole life so I'm I'm very like interested in it. But for people that may not know or maybe they think they have ADHD or maybe they just want to understand it better. I know it's all or nothing thinking. It's kind of inflexible. What is an actual like person suffering from black and white thinking? What might they be thinking and how does that make them feel? Or what does that stop them from doing even? I love this question, and I I think that the best way to describe black and white thinking is in the area of perfectionism. So perfectionism is the most commonly endorsed thought distortion of ADHD. Okay, so what that means is research that Dr. Russell Ramsey has done shows us that although it's not a symptom— or an impairment of ADHD, it is something that most adults with ADHD struggle with. And so perfectionism can look like this. I have a work project due tomorrow morning, and I'm missing three components of it. Mm. So I shouldn't bother even finish this project Mm. because it's black or white, all or nothing. 
Well, it's not going to be done. It's not going to be perfect. They're going to be mad at me anyway because I'm missing these three components. So I'm just not going to continue with it. Right. Right. And so all or nothing thinking really prevents us from being able to just move forward imperfectly and produce B minus work, which often is like really amazingly good enough. Mm. But what we want to do instead is say, since I can't produce A plus work, I'm not going to even bother. It's not even worth trying. It's not even worth putting my effort into. I'll just go do the laundry. I'll just go do the dishes. I'll just go do these other tasks that are screaming at me at the same volume, right? And so that is where I see all or nothing or inflexible thinking really coming into play is in the area of perfectionism because um, the idea... And it's just kind of like ingrained in us that if we, and what I mean by that, I did this like big motion. It's like in our bodies. Like if if I cannot complete this to the level that I think I'm going to receive praise and zero criticism, then I'm not even going to bother to finish it. I'm not even going to, I'm going to figure out a way to hand it in late. I'm going to figure out a way to be sick tomorrow. I'm going to figure out a way to avoid it at all costs. Oh, I'm just, you know, like charm. Most of us ADHD years are very charming. So I'm going to charm my way out of it Mm. because I know that it's not going to be A plus work. And so I can't even bring myself to produce something that is what I am um, qualifying as like a lesser, a, a lesser quality. And so I love that you said perfectionism because I think it's the secret enemy in all anxiety recovery. Mm. And I think people don't want to start because they don't like to hear, well, it's something you can live with. But for me, it's like living with it has almost just kind of made it go away. But anyway, I know it's like sort of a side note of what you're saying, but I love that perfectionism, now I'm learning a new thing, is black and white thinking. Yes. It's so cool to put those two things together. Because I think a lot of people think perfectionism is, oh, she's type A, she does everything perfect. It's literally the opposite. It's like this person that you would never think to call perfectionist because, you know, they don't turn their work in. It's because Mm -hmm. they're perfectionists. So many people who are not functioning are not functioning because they are perfectionists. Yeah. That makes so much sense. Mm -hmm. And so thinking about like, when you were talking about emotional control, like self-soothing after, mm. you know, an emotional explosion or some kind of just anything emotional. I, rem- I was thinking back to like, God, I think it was a long time. I was in my early 20s. And there was a writing job that my agent had told me about and said, you know, you have to write like a sample script and, you know, you have a few days to do it. And I had just gone through a breakup like that day. Mm. And I, I never wrote it. And she was like, don't ever let, you know, something like that get in the way of going for something again. And I was thinking, yeah, yeah. But it was so in my body that I couldn't. It wasn't that I was like writing, but thinking thoughts. Oh, I, I'm sad. It was, I, I don't know how anyone would have written. It was like I had the flu or something, you know, I mean, not mm-hmm. the same symptoms, but I was so overwhelmed that I would have had to self-soothe before I started writing, but I didn't know how, or I didn't even know that was happening. I just thought what I was going through, everybody had. So I just, in my head, made up, oh, my agent's never been through a breakup, so she doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, I had no idea. And so now looking back on things like that, 
you know, I can reframe it as like, oh, that was that kind of ADHD lack of self-soothing. And so like for anyone listening, I know I did just kind of describe it, but like, what does that mean when someone can't self-soothe? And and does that make sense to you that it was so in the body that it's like not in the mind, right? Yes. So first of all, it completely makes sense. And then second, you know, so many of us with ADHD did not grow up in families where there was any emotional intelligence or any conversation about emotions. Most of us were invalidated um, when we had feelings. Most of us, because those emotional explosions made our parents or caregivers feel a type of way, they often wanted to shut it down. And so we never were taught how to experience an emotion. Mm. I'm just saying most. Um, in my experience, I really haven't met one ADHD who's like, oh no, I come from a family with a very high emotional intelligence. And I was taught from a young age how to experience emotions in my body. And I know exactly how to self-soothe. Like, I've never met one and I've coached thousands of people. So yeah. I was going to put that out there. I would say um, that like the only, I'm like somewhere in the middle where it's like my family didn't deny anything, but they all had ADHD. I think I'm diagnosing my parents. They were so emotionally reactive and then I'd be emotionally and everyone was just emotionally reacting like popcorn popping exactly. and it was totally acceptable, but we just never like discussed it or went further. So you like, everyone has their explosion and then you just kind of forget about it. And then you keep going, you know, it was like, so that was like my modeling. And I was like, Oh, what? We don't act like this. Like when you get out and you meet other people, and they're like, what are you doing? <laughs> it was like, this is normal. <laughs> it's like almost worse to have it encouraged. <laughs> Yes. Oh my goodness. So when you're experiencing something so big in your body, most of us find it to be such an uncomfortable experience that we really try to either resist it or um, so that would look like trying to ignore it, trying to avoid it, trying to push it away, trying to distract ourselves from it. Right. And yeah. so like it's kind of still residing there with us, but we don't want our attention on it because it feels so uncomfortable. Or we try to just like explode and get it out of us. Right. So that would be like reacting, which sounds mm -hmm. like that's how your family was like just yeah. kind of react, react, react. And like so the big emotion would come up. It explodes out of me. I kind of throw it at you and then we kind of go about our business and we're all fine. <laughs> right. Quote exactly. <laughs> fine. Um, the the biggest thing that I have learned in the last five to 10 years and the thing that I try to teach my clients um, and I think gives them so much power is the ability to really process and feel our emotions. Mm. And people don't understand, <laughs> like they come into an ADHD coaching program and they're like, where are my tips and tricks? And I'm like, I'm not that kind of coach. Like right. I'm, you, I'm not going to teach you anything that you can Google. Like, you already know the stuff. But what you can't learn from the Googles, it, like what you need an actual human to teach you is like how to process an emotion, how to expand yourself big enough to make room for this emotion. And so the technique that I teach my um, clients is called the surf technique. I learned it from Dr. Sasha Hines. I adore her. You can go look her up. Okay, I will. So surf stands for stop. Okay. So the first thing is just like, like stop could you just like shush and stop right so like so many times we're feeling this big emotion and we just want to like go 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 and i want to like move around to all the different things so that i don't have to feel this in my body mm. the first thing is stop 
And then let the emotion, the you is for unfold. Let it unfold in your body. Now, this is the hardest part because we don't want to do that. We don't want to yeah. feel it. We think that a, an emotional experience is like a problem. Like, I need to solve this. What's the, what's the solution here? And it's not a problem. It's an experience to be had. You are an emotional being and you are having an emotional experience. This is very normal. So let it unfold in your body. The best way that I can describe that is if you picture the emotion, like let's say in your chest, mm-hmm. and you just take a deep breath and try to expand the space around the emotion. So you're just trying to create space around it. You're not trying to get rid of it. You're just letting it exist within you. And you're just creating more space for it. Like I have the capacity for this to exist within me. I don't have to resist it. I don't have to distract myself from it. And I don't have to vomit it on anyone else. It can just be here with me in my body. And so I just let that experience unfold. So maybe I take like five deep breaths and I just let that happen. And eventually the emotion will recede. So that's the R. Cool. Okay. Eventually that emotion will recede. Once it does recede, the F is for like, figure it out. Find the name, either find the name of it if you didn't know what the emotion was. Mm-hmm. Find like the couple of thoughts causing the emotion. Like what, what's the really going on here? Why was it there with you? Most of us want to do that before we've processed the emotion. Why am I feeling this? What's going on? I need to solve this problem, right? But instead, just like really experiencing the emotion, letting it unfold within you. And then when it recedes, then you can do all of that figuring out stuff. Find the name. Why was it here? What is it here to teach me? And I know that sounds like a a long process, but really in five minutes, you can gain so much power back because you've really allowed that emotion to exist within you and then recede. And maybe you'll have to do that five times, 10 times a day. But what it allows you to do is function. So, okay, I need five minutes to process this, but now I can go and function. I can go write my piece. Oh, here it is again. I need to process it. Okay, now I can go back to functioning rather than letting your whole day be hijacked by that intense emotion. And I love that you said, you know, it seems like, oh, it seems like this long thing, but it's really five minutes. Even when you just said stop, like I could feel that in my body. Like, oh yeah, I, you know, because I'm always like fluttering around doing a million things and it's like, just stop, just stop. Like, even if I'm not feeling some intense emotion, like how about just, just stop, like for no reason, you know? And that can be, so powerful in and of itself that I can see where that wouldn't take that long to yeah. do the U, the R, and the F. I love that you said that because I always ask people for like tips and tricks and things like that. And I love that you don't have the typical ADHD tips and tricks. Like this is, as we said, like um, a neurodevelopmental disorder that impairs your ability to regulate yourself, including your attention and your emotions. That's what I got from your show. And I love that we kept it on that topic because I think it will be a relief for some people to hear that like there's an emotional part to this. Anxiety Bites will be right back after a quick little message from one of our sponsors. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. 
This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. This is it. Your moment. This is your time to make your comeback with Purdue Global. When you come back with a Purdue Global degree, you create opportunity for yourself, your family, and your future. It's a degree you can be proud of, a degree that employers will trust and respect. Purdue Global offers working adults like you over 175 flexible degree programs to meet your specific career goals. These include associate, bachelor's, master's, and doctoral degrees and certificates. Purdue Global degree programs range from nursing to business to communication and more. Whatever your interest, we have the degree that will move you forward. You have the knowledge. You have the experience. Now it's time to get credit for the work you've done and earn the recognition you deserve with Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. You know you're worth it. We do too. So don't wait another second to get the degree that will take your career to the next level. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, this is Christina Quinn. I'm the host of Try This, the Washington Post's new series of audio courses. The idea behind Try This is to become better functioning humans without having to comb the internet for countless hours. In our first course, we learned how to sleep better. Now, we're going to learn how to make our friendships stronger. I'll offer expert tips that are doable, and I'll keep it short. So let's do this. Glasses in session. Find Try This from the Washington Post wherever you listen. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite in powerful conversations. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. I want you all to join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. In every episode, we gather a seasoned elder. But even with a child, there's no such thing as the wrong thing if you love them. Myself, as the middle generation... I don't feel like I have to get married at this big age in life, but it is a desire I have and something that I've navigated in dating and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations. I'm very jealous (laughs) of your generation that didn't have to deal with Instagram and Tinder. This is Across Generations, where Black women's voices unite, and together, you know how we do, we create magic. magic. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Why do you think people have such late in life diagnosis of ADHD? I don't mean late in life, like, but you know, it's not like for the people that don't have the kid kind jumping around. Why do you think it takes till people are in like thirties and forties to get diagnosed? Is it, is it the person just not even realizing it's something that needs diagnosing so they don't ask anyone or is it like hard to figure out? Well, Women specifically are diagnosed much later in life. So the median age for a woman being diagnosed is 38. Wow. 38. 
years old. So I learned that from Dr. Patricia Quinn, who is just like a giant um, when it comes to ADHD. And so that is wild when you think about that. And, and I think that there's two answers. I think for females, um, there's such a stigma and um, what is the word? Oh, gosh, there's no words coming to my brain. I'm so sorry. Oh, I love it. Uh, this is me all the time. Oh, my gosh. Like, <laughs> it's, the- it's a very simple word, too. It is not, it's not a very intellectual word. But anyway, there's such a stigma around ADHD um, where people just think it's for boys. And not just boys, little white boys. So it's mm. little white boys, right? And so when a girl is presenting with being spacey, being um, highly reactive, having trouble self-regulating, being perfectionistic, like all of those things that really show up for girls and women, they're not, clinicians are not really understanding ADHD and that, um, you know, it's important to assess girls for ADHD. So that's the that. So the reason why many women are being diagnosed later in life is because they usually will reach a certain point in their life where their coping skills are just no longer working. Got it. So it's just like you've had all your kind of maladaptive skills for so long that you hit a wall. Exactly. And so maybe you hit perimenopause or maybe you you did fine in college, but now you're going to grad school and that's like, you know, a shit show or like something like that. I think that... um there's also a lack of self-awareness. So in general, with people with ADHD, there's a really huge lack of self-awareness. And so by the time somebody finally hits 30 and their brain kind of catches up and finally develops into a fully formed human brain, um, that's when more of the awareness is available to them. And so they will be more willing to seek out a diagnosis. So I learned from Dr. Russell Barkley that the ADHD brain is about um, 30% behind developmentally than a neurotypical brain. Okay. Wow. Huge. So that means that our brains are not fully formed until we're in our 30s. And so that's when the awareness and the ahas usually start is mid-30s. And I am seeing that all over the wow. place. And that was my story as well. It's now mine. Now that I know that, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Yes, completely. And so like any of you who know ADHD kids or teens, like if you think of an ADHD teenager, like a 13-year-old is really acting so immature, like a nine-year-old. And that makes sense because the ADHD brain developmentally is just behind. It just takes so much longer for them to catch up. So an ADHD college student is really acting like a mid-teenager, right? And so when you think about that, you're like, okay, that makes a lot more sense. So those who were not diagnosed in childhood, who didn't have teachers or coaches or parents who were really aware and on top of it, we're often not diagnosed until our 30s or 40s or 50s or 60s. I have people in my program who are diagnosed in their 70s. God bless them. Like it wow. is never too late to be diagnosed. Yeah. Um, and that's usually because the self-awareness is is finally there and slash or their partner, their boss, somebody is like, um, excuse me, like you need to go get this checked out because right. it is not okay. <laughs> like me with my laundry. Exactly. Are you now someone who can identify as an ADHDer? 
Uh, I'd love to hear from you if, if this episode affected you in any way. Please email me, anxietybitesweekly at gmail.com. And please do leave a review if you'd rather do that on Spotify or iTunes, or I guess they call it Apple Podcasts now. Leave five stars. You can leave a review. You can write anything that you want. Follow me on social media at Jen Kirkman. I'm there on Instagram and Twitter, and I post little audiograms from each episode. If you go to my website, you can read the bullet point takeaways that I'm about to give to you right now for every episode. And please tweet about the show, post about it on Instagram. I would love it. Get the word out. The more people that listen, the more people get better. And the more people that get better, the less we have to deal with people running around with undiagnosed anxiety without any tools. All right. Takeaways from my episode with Kristen. ADHD simply stands for Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder, which Kristen finds to be a terrible name because, again, ADHD is a neurodevelopmental disorder that impairs one's ability to regulate themselves, including their attention and their emotions. ADHD is not inherently a deficit in attention. People with ADHD, yes, their ability to control or supervise their own emotions or intentions is impaired. Although ADHD is technically a disorder, you can look at it as a brain difference or just a different way of functioning, but you are not neurotypical. And thank God for that. ADHD impairs our executive function. So what is that? Well, there are eight executive functions that work together. So one is impulse control. That's learning to curb your own impulses. So you have a thought, you have an idea, and you might immediately take action without having, you know, a moment to stop and think. You know, you don't think, is this something I want to do? Will it lead towards my goal? Does it make sense long term? You're basically a Ferrari engine with bicycle brakes. Emotional control, that's another executive function. You can't self-soothe after an emotional explosion. It could even ruin your whole day. For example, you might not even be able to get work done. And another executive function that neurotypical people have that is difficult for ADHDers is flexible thinking. ADHDers are black and white thinkers. They're all or nothing. Flexible thinkers, they go with the flow, they change plans, they transition from one task to another. ADHDers may find themselves having a tough time transitioning from one task to another. And to them, you know, it's like everything's terrible or everything's amazing. They often have to find ways to stay in the gray area. Another executive function is a working memory or a verbal working memory. This can be tough for an ADHDer. Neurotypicals kind of do this easily to keep themselves on task. It's like having an inner conversation with yourself. It's your mind's eye, your ability to see pictures and hold the task in your mind long enough to get it done. An ADHD person may remember something from a long time ago. All of that time we went to Disney World, but they're not going to remember to stop for milk on the way home, even if they have the best of intentions and even if they thought about it three times. Self-monitoring is another executive function. That basically means staying on task and focusing on the critical right thing being able to notice when you're not working according to your plan. And, you know, it includes checking in with yourself, self-evaluating, adjusting, and making changes accordingly. This does not come easily to someone with ADHD. Planning and prioritizing, that's kind of lumped together as one executive function. 
So a neurotypical person, their brain looks at the day, assesses what needs to get done, naturally puts things into priority order. The ADHD brain, everything is on the same plane and seems to have the same level of importance, right? It's like what I was talking about with a work deadline or my laundry that needs folding. It's all important to us and it's all screaming at us at the same volume. We don't know where to start. A lot of people with ADHD will go into overwhelm and shutdown. Task initiation is another executive function, and that can be simply too much for someone with ADHD. We have to muster up the motivation for something. And then organization is another executive function. It includes not only organizing things, but our time, our money, our thoughts, our friend groups. Again, this can be challenging for someone with ADHD. So when one or more of these eight executive functions are impaired, life gets pretty difficult. ADHD is a spectrum disorder. We don't all experience the same level of impairment and in the same areas. People with ADHD tend to have lower levels of dopamine firing off in their brain. We have fewer dopamine receptors. So when we are doing tasks like folding laundry that give us absolutely no dopamine reward, it can be really difficult to muster up that motivation and to get things done. Now, people may misinterpret that as being lazy, but it really can feel overwhelming. And so something that Kristen does is when she knows that she's suffering from a lack of dopamine and she has to do a task that not only doesn't interest her, but it causes this sort of angst about having to do it, she'll try to make it fun, whether she dances around with her kids or she puts on a fun podcast to listen to. You know, you might want to listen to music or put on a crazy hat or something, but just something to make it fun and to get some good vibes flowing. People um, with ADHD are often diagnosed later in life because it can take a little longer to realize that you are not functioning at your full level. You, you, you may have to actually hit a wall. For, for a lot of women, um, they may not be diagnosed until they're in their 30s. And it's sad that the brain of someone with ADHD takes a little longer to develop than that of a neurotypical person. So some people say late in life diagnosis, you might be right on time and pretty normal within the world of people with ADHD. So again, I hope this episode helped. I know it certainly helped me and I can talk about ADHD all day long. All right, well, tell a friend about the podcast. Meet me on social media, at Jen Kirkman again, like I said, on Twitter, on Instagram. Check out everything Kristen Carter, again, linked in the show notes. And yes, Anxiety Bites, but you're in control. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare.
Open a limited-time 11-month certificate at Kemba Financial Credit Union. At 5.25% APY, it's more than triple the national average, plus it's a safe and secure way to grow your money. Visit your local branch or kemba.org slash cd for details. Offer expires May 31st, 2024. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. $500 minimum and $250,000 maximum deposit. Advantage status required. Comparison based on bank rate average. Federally insured by NCUA. Hey, everybody, welcome to Across Generations, where the voices of Black women unite. I'm your host, Tiffany Cross. Tiffany Cross. Join me and be a part of sisterhood, friendship, wisdom, and laughter. We gather a seasoned elder, myself as the middle generation, and a vibrant young soul for engaging intergenerational conversations, prepare to engage or hear perspectives that literally no one else has had. Listen to Across Generations podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's like the police knew who he was before they got here. From iHeart Podcasts. The medical school dean at USC was leading a secret double life. He's breathing right now? Yes, he's absolutely breathing. I'm a doctor, actually. A story about money, power, and corruption. When people fall in line, they fall in line. Looking back, I realized, oh, everyone knew. I'm Paul Pringle, an investigative reporter for the LA Times. Listen to Fallen Angels, a story of California corruption on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, I'm Jay Shetty, and I'm the host of the On Purpose Podcast, and I had the opportunity to talk to one of Hollywood's major icons, Michael B. Jordan. In our conversation, Michael shares the highs, the lows, and everything in between, offering a genuine glimpse into his world. The closest to getting what you want is always the hardest. People give up right before they get what they've always wanted to get. Listen to On Purpose with Jay Shetty on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 